Anyway, I have my clumsy hands. About a week ago, I put this post on Instagram, right? It's this picture of this dragon just standing up there, all just beasty looking, and it's shooting down this nasty brimstone stream of fire down at our hero. It's an older movie, and it was a stretch to think that people would be able to get it, but I just took a chance and said, hey, look, who can name this film? And you know, I had a couple people put in there the kind of the basics and stuff, uh, Dragon Heart, Reign of Fire, which is actually one of my favorite movies, Reign of fire. Never seen Dragonheart, but I heard that that was pretty good. Anything with dragons is something that has always captivated me. I even played for the Barcelona Dragons in Spain out there when I went over there to play in the World League, and they had this awesome logo of this dragon, and it stood out wherever you went. The colors were great, and it just was this great vibe the Barcelona Dragons. And so, you know, I mean, uh, I'm a big dragon guy, you know, and this particular movie that that scene was from is actually from an old school film called Dragon's Lair. It's a movie that was made back in the 80s and uh, I was a little, little one and me and my sisters would uh, watch this movie all the time. It's not, it wasn't for everybody uh, because it was a, it was very slow. The storyline took forever to set up. So basically it was back in the olden days, medieval times and stuff way past there. And then, so this dragon was just terrorizing all the different, what are they called? The castles or the, you know, the villages, I guess is what they were called back then. And so one of the kings kind of recruited this wizard guy to go out there and try to kill the dragon because in like 10 days or something like that, king's daughter was next in line to be sacrificed. So, and it was, he just he thought of like this Hail Mary play. Okay, send this dorky looking freaking wizard guy who's in training. He was pretty much an apprentice and send him to go <laughs> and try to kill this dragon. And, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a good adventure but it takes forever to get going. But the big payoff comes when the when the, the actually the our hero makes it to where the dragon is, and they face off like you would not believe. It's great special effects that when you first see this dragon come up out of the freaking like uh, little lair, and then there's he's hiding some water, and um and then he comes up, and you see the horns first, and then this very evil looking face just coming up behind this hero guy who doesn't see him yet, and then when he turns around around you know what's coming that that dragon was such a well-designed dragon looks so fierce um it looked like if dragons really were real that's what they would look like they did a fantastic job and this was back in the 80s and then so when he built up that fire down in his gut and they kind of built it up coming up through the throat and then put it down on him opened his mouth you knew it was coming and then he had like this protective shield that was made for him master i guess is what he was called and all that so he was the head wizard and so this head wizard knew where he was going and he gave him this uh, protective shield um, and that protected him all the way through. And the, I don't want to give away the storyline, but basically this, this hero guy, this apprentice is carrying the only real way to kill this dragon. And the head you know, wizard lets him know, I'm going to sacrifice myself and you'll know when to do what you need to do so we can kill this dragon. And 
you know, it's a beautiful storyline and, you know, it's a fantasy, obviously, but there's so many different uh, pieces of this film that I can relate to real life. And, you know, I mean, does the guy end up slaying the dragon or not? I don't know. You're going to have to watch the film. But the beautiful thing about it is that if it wasn't for the head wizard, he would have never been in any type of position to to even take on the dragon. I mean, he could have taken him on, but there's no way to really, really defeat a dragon at those times without some type of special powers and stuff so which is what this uh, head wizard had and so in the end the head wizard sacrifices himself to destroy the dragon and save the kingdoms and the villages and all that stuff and the people that were being terrorized and um you know the poor virgin girls that were being sacrificed to this dragon and guess what all was well in the kingdom from that point on so why do I bring this story up? It was a great, great movie. I highly recommend it. You know, I mean, probably wouldn't hold its weight now to a lot of people because, uh, you know, I mean, it's the new millennial Gen Z's. They ain't got time for no movie like that, you know, with an actual authentic storyline with great acting, uh, you know, uh, an arc of character that's very real. You see this guy go from this to get slapped around and, you know, uh, beaten up by all the henchmen and all that stuff. And then <laughs> he turns out to be the only one who goes and takes on the freaking dragon and he wins so you know the arc of character is fierce in this stuff and a lot of twists there's a couple other twists in there uh, with a few of the characters but uh you know gen z's nowadays they don't care about storylines they don't care about acting they don't care about plot twists and all that stuff they they i don't know what they are motivated by but man if gen z's knew how to kind of slow things down and focus on the little things and stuff they could see all the different subplots going on around them in the world world. You know, and that's what ties into what my episode today is going to be about, which is going to be called The Dragon Slayer, episode 31. Anybody know why? Well, because real life takes place almost on a daily basis here in the Shed House. Not necessarily for everyone else, but I know for me it takes place <laughs> every day, man. I'm like battling something. And it's been that way for a long freaking time. It was definitely that way uh, when I became a police officer. I swore I was going to kind of tone it down when I talk about the police officer stuff. You know, I moved on and stuff. I've grown up and moved past that. But um, I was just surprised of some information the other day that makes me, that just kind of like, uh, you know, made me rethink some things and think about the, the days back when I was there and like, God dang, finally, this dude is gone. Oh, wait a minute. It could be a girl too. I don't want to give it away. But this dude or girl is gone. And what's so important about that? It just took forever. What this particular person represented was something so ah vile and it just shouldn't have happened that way he shouldn't have brought that he he or she shouldn't have brought that to a police department you know there's something about just when you have a preference of people who you want to protect and who you want to put in places to to promote and excel and all that stuff and totally shit on the other side i have no respect whatsoever for those type of people and this particular person did it almost daily without remorse it was like the like the terminator man you know there's this line in the movie terminator he can't be bargained with he can't be reasoned with he doesn't feel remorse or pity or fear and he absolutely will not stop until all the minorities are gone <laughs> all right i added my own like little twist there and stuff like that am i calling this guy or girl a racist hmm 
You know, it, if this person's last name was named racist, you still wouldn't be able to convict them as a racist because some people are just that smooth to where they're so manipulative and so sharp with how they just play things off. Gone are the days of where you can kind of walk outside and suddenly you see somebody, hey, nigger, <laughs> hey, sir, how are you? Those days are gone, man. Nobody uses, don't, nobody talks like that anymore. It's well disguised nowadays. And at the police department, it's even more difficult to kind of spot these people. So that's one of the main reasons why like Gen Zers, the young generations and stuff like that, they don't really realize how tough things were back in the days. And here I am talking about how tough things were for me when I first started being a police officer. And I always got to pay respects to days back when my dad grew up because everything I I saw or objected to is nothing compared to what my dad had to go through. But still, what ended up happening was something that I just, I mean, this is how it went down. You know, I mean, um, am I calling this particular person a racist? I'll let you guys decide. I'm going to be the one telling the stories because I've always been a storyteller. Even back in freaking six something great, I would always come up with these stories that people wanted to get the class to see and hear and listen to and all that stuff. And so I try to keep doing the same thing to this date. It's it's a, like I said, I, I told myself I was going to back off on the whole uh, telling police stories, unless it was like all these great, you know, running and gunning type stories and stuff like that, which seems like the Gen Z's want to hear about. But no, uh, this one is warm where you just have to just kind of like sit back and just kind of like take it all in and listen to all like the little nuances of the details and try to try to say, wow, that is kind of suspicious or SC, what you use as a police officer, those actions are kind of SC, yeah. Huh, I wonder why he or she did act like that and all that stuff. So the other day, about a week or so ago, I was apprised of some information that, that confirmed that this person had said it was time to go. And I had heard rumors, but I did not know exactly. So it wasn't until I had someone send me like some ironclad information that will definitely confirm that this particular person has decided to retire from the force. It was like the day before Thanksgiving that I got that information. And so I'm just like, wow, what kind of perfect timing is that? I get this news that's so monumentous in my eyes right before Thanksgiving. So not only am I thankful to you know still be around in this earth, thankful for my family, thankful for my friends and all those who support me and all that stuff, Thankful for the Raiders for way back in the days, Mr. Davis giving me a chance to play in the NFL and um, kind of paved my way out in the world. On that end, I'm thankful for the fact that, that finally the San Leandro Police Department might have like an even playing field. You know, I mean, um, I keep in contact with some of the officers still over there at the SOPD and, um, you know, and some here and there you, you kind of touch base with and they say, I'm getting ready to leave or I'm not happy or they're still very discouraged, very frustrated, very everything. And, you know, it's sad to say you knew that that's what was happening, you know, or I did because they're going through the same thing that I had to go through when I was freaking a young rookie cop out there at that place, you know. It was very easy to see that certain people who had a certain look and had a certain DNA were given extra everything, really, you know, um, just while the others weren't given shit. 
And it was very hard to try to take on it. I really didn't start seeing it until I started getting a little bit older out there and then putting in for different assignments. That's when you really start to see some stuff. You know, when you start putting in for different assignments and then you look and you see, uh, you know, that somebody who didn't even put in for the position got it over you. And it's like, how does that even happen? That person didn't even, I talked to them a week before the test even came out. They said, oh, hell no, I'm not putting in for that. And all of a sudden they're, they got promoted or they got you know the detective desk or they got the field training officer position how does that happen well i mean you just kind of have to look deeper into what's going on so when i started kind of seeing it i did the best i could to kind of fight back and kind of still go for mine and all that stuff but the groups of people that i had to go through or go against i'm sorry call them dragons if you want to and all that stuff, were very, very powerful people who owned a lot of weight around the police department. And they didn't like you. They they let you know in certain ways that you weren't going to be part of anything moving forward with that department. You'll take what we give you, but what we're going to give you is, has like worms in it and, you know, like, you know, roaches and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and then the other side are eating filet mignon and uh, all the good stuff and all the trimmings and stuff, prime rib and all that stuff. <laughs> it's so crazy when you think about it because this almost seems like it's script material, but it's not. This is just real stuff. Obviously, I, I it, you know, I inflected a little bit here and there and I kind of add my own like little fluff here and there, but I might change names here and there to protect the innocent. But these are real stories. My dad would always tell me that, uh, you know, that alien stories and stuff like that will always only be made up of things that we've all seen before. You can't just make make an alien movie and make this alien look something like you've never seen before. It just doesn't work like that. So I can't make up the type of stories that I'm saying unless I actually lived it. So if anybody tries to say something different, and I've always said that, I would love to sit down with them. Of anybody who wants to try to debate me on the type of things that I'm saying, oh, it didn't happen like that. Oh, okay. All right, here's the date and time. Let's meet and let's talk about it. I want to hear what you have to say that's going to be on the opposite end of what I'm trying to say. And then also I want to know why are you going against what I'm saying? I'm not here to derp anything. I'm here to help educate and prepare the younger generations of, and well, I was a police officer at the time, so that's why I was doing it. Uh, you know, I'm also doing it to prepare the younger generations of scholars, the younger generations of football athletes and stuff to get ready and all that stuff. And it's not... A racial thing it's a it's a fairness thing it really is and I'm not trying to point anything as a racial thing it's just like most people who I've grown up with they just want to be treated fairly that's all if they're the best person for that position give them the best shot to get it and if they win it let them have it so Part of everything that I was celebrating about was when I got that news that this particular person had finally retired is because when I had to deal with this particular person back in the days, this person made life hell for me. I always think about like, where did it all begin? You know, I can't think about it. Let me see. I was about four, four or five years on, and this particular person was six, seven years on, really like on the fast track, rising up the ranks and stuff. I, I will give this particular person credit. Very good, uh, uh, what's the word? Very good enforcement officer, you know, um, very proactive, would always post up at the border and pull over anything that, you know, 
you know, stood out to him as like, yeah, that's a, that person has a gun. Yeah, that person has drugs and all that stuff. And just enforcement. Yeah, yeah. You don't want those people in your city. And that's, that's how he did it. As soon as he broke lineup, he was out there just taking down the bad element that would come into the city of San Leandro. Uh, a lot of people don't have those inner abilities and stuff like that. It's like, you know, like the sixth sense and stuff that comes with being a police officer. Some just have it, some don't. Me, I was very basic. I kind of kept things very simple. Someone violated a law or someone was so egregious with everything. Uh, you know, I did what I had to do. If that didn't rise to that type of level for me, I'm just, okay, man, you know, uh, or lady, just kind of like, you know, uh, no harm, no foul type thing. But just watch it for next time, you know. And so my job was out there also to just kind of like to help uh, just show and people probably the proper ways to act out there to enjoy their lives, but to do it in a lawful manner, you know. I remember one particular time where I was patrolling one night and um, I came across this car that was stalled in the middle of the freaking lane at a red light. You know, I get up there and, you know, I go to make contact and I see the person's like passed out behind the wheel, right? And um, we kind of figured that the, the person was drunk. So what we ended up doing was just the way to do it is so you'd have a, another police car uh posted up in front of the vehicle and then you put your police car in behind it and you have enough vehicles you probably want to box it in you know and put one on the right and the left of the vehicle so when you do make contact with the uh, occupant they don't like get all amped up and put it in drive and take off and stuff because if they are impaired then then obviously they can they can hurt somebody so safety is always key in this particular case the dude was drunk he was lit actually and then so when we made contact with him he had no awareness of where he was he was so drunk he just passed out behind the wheel a lot of officers probably take this dude to jail. I slowed things down a little bit, you know. Um, I kind of asked some questions and stuff like that uh, when he was able to kind of like get some words out and all that stuff. I'm like, dude, where are you coming from? And basically in the end, he was getting ready to go to the army. And so he was out with friends and they were celebrating his last days outside of the service and stuff because he was about to go in, into the military like the next day. So me hearing that, rather than me just automatically taking this guy to jail for DUI and all that stuff, I placed a phone call to his mom and dad and they came and they picked him up and they were so appreciative. They were so thankful that, you know, I made the decision not to take him to jail because that would absolutely destroyed his life. Um, he didn't hurt anybody, passed out in the middle of the roadway, definitely unsafe, yeah, but no harm, no foul. So we had the parents take the car home and take their kid home so he can live to fight another day. And that's what it's about. And he learned a lot from that experience. You know, I mean, I enjoyed my time being a cop. I didn't feel like it was all necessary to go all over the place and start uh, exhorting your freaking authority and all that stuff and treating certain people a certain way just because, yeah, Okay, there's a lot of uh, bad elements that comes from, you know, certain people, all that stuff. But just that doesn't mean that everybody is bad. But in my eyes, that was what was going on. And I, that's just in my eyes. A lot of other people probably would not think that way about certain officers and stuff like that. So these are just my opinions that as I started watching and stuff, certain other people, and that sometimes it would trickle over to officers, were being treated differently, who looked different than what this particular person looked like. So, you know, so. So I remember, again, going back to that like five, six years on, I went to a call where 
what was it? I think it was an alarm call or I think, yeah, I'm quite sure it was an alarm call or a burglar call, one of those two. So I go there, me and my partner, we search the house and stuff. We do the outer perimeter search and stuff. And I think we found like an open door, but when it was all quiet, I could hear ruffling upstairs. So I was like, oh shit, somebody's still here, you know? So quested more units and stuff, possible suspects still inside. I hear noises. So units show up, we get a really good time perimeter and you know I'm the primary so it's my job to kind of direct everybody where I wanted them to be this particular person who was next in line to be supervisor and all that stuff did well on the on the list and stuff and uh, showed so much potential so much promise and all that he or she came to the call and you know they were at that senior status and stuff where yeah that he took over he or she took over and which is how they're supposed to do it because especially I think they were a SWAT office at that time so that it's just customary that that's how it would work so they kind of took over I kind of played more of a secondary role helped out with the perimeter and all that stuff I you know they put together a team entry team and all that stuff and I wasn't on the SWAT team or anything like that so that's just a standard procedure and all that stuff the people who are going to end up going inside are going to be like SWAT trained and that's how it was all kind of unfolding so when this particular person gets there they ask me what do you got well man I heard some noises so as they took over they started kind of checking on the inside and stuff and they heard noises too so and then they would put that on the radio definitely hearing some movement uh, can you check whatever department for a canine you know it's just you could see it this is how it should go uh you know wait you know uh, uh keep it secure wait to get a canine you get a canine in and then you search the house so that's what ended up happening we had to wait forever for a freaking canine to come when they get there probably like 50 minutes had passed, maybe even an hour from when, you know, this unit showed up and kind of like started setting up everything and asking for resources and all that stuff and kind of taking point on the on the call. When the canine gets there, they search the house all over the place, upstairs, downstairs, everywhere, attic, all that stuff. And turned out that they didn't find anybody. And so what the realization was, was that the noise might have been coming from this window where the curtains would hit it and then it make it sound like somebody was moving up there so what I'm getting at is that I really think that was the very first moment that I started to kind of see some nastiness from this particular person because once the whole thing was all resolved all the perimeter units were broken down it turned out to be uh, unfounded as far as like a person inside uh, certain people look stupid because we, we set up all those resources and stuff just to uh, in the end find out that there was nobody there and it might have been the wind making the noise so um, who do you think ended up getting blasted in front of everybody, uh, all the other officers as they're laughing, like, oh my god, dude, man, you know, who do you think was put on blast? Me, by that same officer. I'm not going to mention that person's name. It could be Felicia or um, Steve or, um, you know, Debbie or Jonathan. Let's go with one of those, okay? That person had a name, so we'll leave it at that. So anyway, that person is putting me out there and making me look stupid because they basically said that that whole thing was my fault. The waste of resources, all that stuff was my fault because I thought I heard something and it, and it was unfounded. So I look like a jerk. Now, if I was certain other people who, who might have been San Leandro police officers at the time, I would have, A, laughed it off like, damn, yeah, man, I gotta go get my ears checked and stuff. <laughs> That's one route, or B, get all red-faced and like get all teary-eyed and kind of walk off like, 
yeah, screwed up, man. You guys are hurt my feelings going walk off and stuff. That's B. C would have been to, you know, be like stoic faced and pretend like you don't hear them or her as they're talking trash about you, making people laugh and making you look silly. D is just to say, hey, fuck you. And yeah, I think I chose D. <laughs> so I didn't like that. I didn't like being put on blast like that because number one, he took over my call or she took over my call and basically from that point on took over everything. They saw and heard the same things I did and they confirmed, yeah, I, I hear noises. And then that's when all the other resources started coming, pointing up and they, they were ready to go on in. And so for him to, or her to put me on blast like that was was not cool because I know that they were next in line to promote and all that stuff is reflective of them and all that stuff. And in hindsight, should there have been a part of me that probably could have just kind of eased up a little bit and maybe take the heat on that one? Probably, yeah, because I was nowhere ready to be promoting or anything like that. And But my reputation was very dear to me too. And I didn't want to be looked upon as no idiot, especially when someone else shows up at my call and I'm primary and then they kind of take over for me and they take over my call. If something bad happens after that, that's on you. And that's the part that I brought up very clearly. Now, if that particular person would have just kind of like laughed it off like yeah you're right man I did hear him too and then it probably would have been okay everybody would have laughed we're all freaking cops man there's so many different silly things and the cops do to, to ease the stress that was a very stressful time you didn't know if there was somebody else in the house you didn't know if there was someone being held hostage and stuff so we had to get in there like ASAP to find out where that suspect was and if he was holding somebody hostage and stuff like that. We needed to do that. Obviously, we had to do it safely, but for that whole hour plus, man, it was it was nerve-wracking and all that stuff. So, you know, and to have to end that and then go back out and now you get uh, slapped in the face by your own coworker and made to look stupid and take the bullet and all that stuff. For me, I know I just at that time I just I guess I wasn't in the mood and had this person like I said just kind of like made his jokes and maybe behind my back and then left, then it would have been all good. But this person put it out there like to make himself look good and make me look stupid. And I just wasn't having it. So there it was. I think that set the tone. Um, from that point on, I had seen nothing but just negativity from the same person. You know, there was grumblings around the department. Uh, I had to deal with a lot of fallout because of how this how that interaction went down. People thought I was like too good for my own good, I guess, you know, this young football player uh, transitioned and over to a police officer acting like that with this attitude. Maybe they threw a little bit of NWA up in there too, you know, cause I was a little bit of hothead at that time. And at this particular moment, I just said, F this man, I'm not gonna be taking the heat for this. This is bullshit. So I fought back a little bit. And I think that was the first indication to that particular person and then some of the other who backed that particular person up, oh, we're gonna have some problems from this guy. And so, yeah, there was, there was actually, when I think about it, there was so many different things that I had to deal with from that point on, from other supervisors on other shifts, you know, they were just treating me like a freaking dick. And, you know, I fought back the best I could. I didn't know it at the time what my role was gonna be. 
But I go back to the movie Dragon's Lair, you know? They had to take out this beautiful but deadly and ugly force, this beautiful dragon. I think it was a mother dragon too. And that made it all the more just like heartwarming stuff because this dragon was just trying to survive, man. You know, she had like little baby dragons that showed up in the end and stuff. You know, she looked like a, a scary, ugly old male. She was a beautiful a female dragon. And in the end, she had to be stopped though because she was terrorizing and destroying this freaking kingdom. So translate that to the real world of police business and stuff like that. Once I started kind of slowing things down and seeing the nastiness to come out of some of the people who I was working with, call them dragons if you want to, you can come up with other words, stuff like that. But since my podcast episode 31 is called the Dragon's Leia, let's call them dragons, you know, not literally speaking, but figuratively speaking, because dragons are formidable forces and they just can't be tamed. You can't bargain with them. You can't reason with them. They don't feel remorse or fear or pity and they absolutely will not stop. The only way that you can take out something like that is to build up your knowledge level, come up with a plan, build up your strength, build up your mind and be ready to strike when the time comes. So as my episode goes on, you're gonna be seeing what I'm going to bring up the whole real moral of this episode which is you have to be ready to strike and you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself. Not very many people are ready to do that, especially cops. Cops are probably like the most narcissistic people in the world. All they really care about is their own personal well-being and their own rise. Yeah, I guess that's just the way most cops are. And then, but then you have another group who are the, the ones who are ready to give themselves up if it came down to that. So how did everything go from that point on with me versus this particular girl or guy? Not the easiest time in the world at all. I remember one time, and I can I can just listen to this story, guys. Just, just listen to this, okay? Um, this isn't anything like a direct stab at me, but it was very indirectly pointed at me. So basically, back in the days, uh, obviously everybody knows I used to play for the Raiders, and then so when I was a police officer, that was kind of like a cool deal. So back then, six, seven years on, you know, they would have a like the special event where the Raider football players would play against the San Leandro Police Department in basketball, right? Really cool event, you had the stands packed and all this uh, exuberance and stuff, and it was cool, high energy, you know, and, and they took like a week or two to build up and everything, put it out there to the press, so you'd get this really, good vibe and this buzz that was so created for this fundraiser really actually because all the funds went towards a special cause i can't remember what the cause was this particular time but you know i i'm not a basketball player at all but when i can i try to give it up for the cause and and be there to raise awareness you know help generate interest and stuff in the in the event as well to do whatever i could do so um like a week before the game, right? I was told that that the Raiders were running low on bodies, right? So, because I thought that I was gonna be on the San Leandro police team because I, I had been removed from being a Raider for many, many years. Obviously, I was a police officer at that time, so naturally I thought I was gonna be on the SLPD team, thinking that the they'd have more than enough bodies for the Raiders and stuff like that because everything I was hearing about the that event, it was always well-received and uh, you know a lot of people would come. So I was thinking, all right, I'm getting ready to go up against these big boys and stuff. So 
I was told, uh, yeah, no, um, since they're short, we're gonna need you to play on the uh, Raiders. I'm just like, okay, yeah, I can make that work too. So, you know, like Blade, you know, uh, best of both worlds. I was a police officer, but I was a former Raider, so I could be both, I could be either one. The problem that was, is that when the game came down, we're over there and we literally, guys, we only had five players on the Raiders team. And then one of them was a Niner who was in the stands watching the game and we had to get this dude out there to even make five. Otherwise we would have, <laughs> I don't know what was gonna happen, but we had five players out there. And I'm thinking uh, the only thing that would make sense is that if the other team was well stacked, that they would have a couple of those guys come down on our side so it would be a little bit more even. Uh, anybody want to wager a bet and, and put money on like if that happened or not? Um, nobody? Okay, because when it was time for them to come out of the locker room, I saw something that was so unnerving and just odd. We had our guys down there. Uh, most of them were black. And then one by one, these guys came out of the locker room who represented San Leandro police. And the same particular person who I've been talking about, like who I had issues with, and we went, we're going back and forth with each other. He leads the charge of this group of San Leandro police officers. It was almost like 12 on their team, all white white guys and not only were they all white they were wearing all white from their shoes the socks the shorts the shirts were all white and i'm just like okay man and they were in line like a freaking drill team man they looked good falling out of that locker room and they looked like they had their routine all together like they've been playing together for a while and i'm looking at these dudes and like about five or six of them i didn't even recognize come to find out that like five or six of them weren't even san leandro police officers they were from someplace else. And I'm just like, can't those guys come over here? I mean, this is San Leandro PD versus the Raiders. It's all mixed up. Can we do something? And no matter what anybody did to plead with those guys to have, you know, see if we could borrow some, some of their people, they did not do that. They fought it. They stuck together. Like, no, we've been playing together for however long. And it was a weird feeling. I had been betrayed by my police department. And I'm like looking at these guys and they look like they had fire in his eyes. Like, oh, we're going to freaking dust these dudes and stuff. They were doing their warm up drills and stuff like that as if they were like some type of pro team. And I'm like, what the hell? Like guys, I can't even play basketball. And I'm looking at these dudes like, how are the hell are we gonna beat these guys? We have five people. And I look down there at them, they're well oiled. And it was the craziest thing. I didn't even know what to feel other than just the sinking feeling of like, is it because my shoes are too long or something? Or is it because my nails are too short? Why am I not down there with those guys? And why do they look so different? You know, I put my finger, I tried to put my finger on what they resembled it. And there's only a few things that I could kind of come up with. And everybody looked just the same. Just a strange day. I don't even know how that went down like that. But I can tell you what, guys. I can't play a lick of basketball. But I said, I don't care what I got to do. This might be my last day on earth. But I'm going to make sure we win this game. <laughs> and we did not leave the field at, or the court at all. We had five people. The only time we got a break was when our coach you know, called a timeout. That was it. But we were on the field the entire game. And would you not believe what ended up happening in the end? It was such a tight game. And we fought our butts off. Everybody on our team. I think Mervin Fernandez was on our team back then too, man. He was, he was our saving grace, actually. This dude was cabal. But I even threw up a couple that somehow went in. 
I was I remember this one time when we were warming up, this one girl was laughing at me. I didn't know at the time she was laughing at me, but when we were warming up, I was I couldn't hit anything. I was missing wide open layups that just shots from three feet out and just were just sailing over the backboard stuff. I can't play. And um and then I look up in the stands and she's up there laughing and all I remember saying, God, you suck. And I was just like, okay. So as the game went on, after I missed like a whole bunch of balls and they told me, Kenny, God damn it, stop shooting. And I stopped, but I had to shoot this one because I was just, there was nobody else to throw it to. And I was right there underneath the basket and I put it up and luckily it went in. She actually was clapping. So, you know, it was a funny, funny moment. And uh, it's proved to be like a memory that I hold dear. I don't know how we won that game, but we did. And it was crazy. So anyway, that was just indicative of every time you show up at work, when this particular person became a supervisor, every time you turn around, the only people on this particular person's shift were these good old boy looking guy. It, it just, that's that's all he surrounded them, he or she surrounded themselves with and stuff was people that looked just like him. And next thing you know, these same people, you could be a transfer that came into the police department like two days ago and all of a sudden you're like on his division as a, a you know, narcotics person, you know, you're on that particular person's team. And it's like, how, wait a minute here. There's so, the, the list goes long of people who've been on that list. How's this person there? And then they're just like, well, I, yeah, he's good at finding drugs and good at finding guns. Okay, but you know, he sucks at domestic violence calls. That didn't matter. So yeah, yeah, it was tough. You go there and you get overlooked and then you have like other, other minority uh, officers and stuff who newly hires and stuff like that. You pull them aside and they're all upset and all that stuff. I'm not trying to say that it's because of that particular person. What I'm trying to say is that they were on that particular person's shift. Now, coincidence? I don't know, man. I don't know. But all I know is just that as we went on and I continue with my career, there was so many different times where it was well hidden, but somehow this dude or girl arranged for me to get put in a position to try to get sabotaged or set up to fail. Um, on one particular time, I was working and then um, there was this pursuit that happened that started in San Leandro and it ended up way out in Oakland, right? Oakland border San Leandro. So at that particular time, I was the technician. So when I'm, you're the technician, you're basically citywide. So when I was out there, I hear the call come out and I kind of let the dispatch know I'm in that area where they just fled from or passed by. Um, and then I was granted permission to kind of to assist or head out that way because you want as many officers as you can or as many that they authorize to be there in Oakland, especially because most of the San Leandro officers are unfamiliar with those streets and cities. So and then um, I'm quite sure that the people that they were chasing were bad people. So if they were able to catch them, it was going to go down. So obviously you want as many uh, blue faces in there as possible. So but I was so far behind. They were going so fast that I could not catch them. Every time I hear on the radio, yeah, we just went left on International and I'm I'm way at 98th and I'm trying to get to, you know, whatever street, 66th or whatever, or 80th or something like that, that sounds like you're close, but by the time I would get there, they were like turning another way. We're in seminary now. So I'm just like, God dang. So I had to zip and go the other way, but I was trying to catch up with them. 
In the end, they were going so fast and they were just so far ahead of me. What ended up happening, and you gotta follow me when I tell this story, people, and most people who aren't police officers, they may not catch some of the things I'm saying. Some police officers who are there to this day may not even catch it, but there are some sharp police officers who know how things work and they're gonna definitely catch what I'm saying here. So when I got canceled, I stopped my car and I kind of posted, well, actually I didn't get, I didn't get canceled yet. I was so far behind them that I stopped and I parked because at one point you could hear them turning back around and do a U-turn and now they're coming right back towards me. So what I'm thinking is like, if I park here, maybe they're just gonna come right past me. Now I can get into it. So I remember this particular time parking and kind of waiting to see where this thing was gonna go. And Oakland is obviously such a big old city. These guys are hauling ass. They're just zipping by. Then actually they might be passing you too. That's my uh, way of thinking. So as I'm parked there, I'm kind of waiting, waiting and all that stuff. And then it just became very clear that I was so far away. And then I think they might even cancel the, the units. Or they said, okay, uh, we're going to have the patrol units cancel. And then we're going to have the unmarked cars follow the car. And then if we can see it get dumped, then we'll try to recover it. It was one of those things. And that's just standard. So all the other units, like including me, were, were canceled. So I started heading back to the city. Now you got to picture what I'm saying here now, Okay. I'm like like maybe 30 blocks away from where they were last seen. I'm not even close to where they are but when they when I got canceled at this time. So I'm starting heading back to the city, right? All of a sudden, there's this white van that pulls in front of me. I'm still in Oakland, right? I'm solo officer by myself, but I'm heading back to San Leandro. All of a sudden, this white van pulls right in front of me. And I didn't recognize it at the time. I didn't even recognize the driver, right? So pulls right in front of me and then like starts hitting its brakes. And I'm so, oh shoot, what is, I almost ran into the back of it. And then right when I kind of like, you know, load up and all that stuff, then it take off again. Then it, then it cut lanes, through lanes here and there. Um, then it stop and wait for me again. And then it speed off. And I'm just like, what the hell's wrong with this dude? Is, it, is this dude drunk? I could see it was a dude, but it was slunched down. So I couldn't really see too much, but I could just see the back of the person's head. So it's, but it was definitely seeming like it was posted up in front of me to try to bait me. Like, hey, chase me or whatever it was doing. It was recklessly driving and I'm in a marked patrol car in the middle of traffic, I'm just like, I gotta tell this dude, or maybe he doesn't know where he, what he's doing. I'm just like, dude, slow down. Is late for work or whatever? That, that happens. When my light would change, I'd pull up a little bit and try to get up next to him. Um, but then as I'd get closer, he'd make that abrupt right and then kind of like speed through this alleyway. And I'm just like, holy shit, this dude, you know, but when I could, I'd catch up with him and I would try to say something. Finally, he was just being so reckless that I just said, I, I gotta let him go. So I get on my, <laughs> I get on my mic and get on the intercom and I get up as close as I could to him and was like, stop driving like an idiot. I'm not chasing you. And then I peel off, go the other way. And then I just, I completely forget all about the dude. And um, I just remember <laughs> looking back, um, like what the hell just happened? And I just turned off and then he kept going and he disappeared down the road. So anyway, I didn't think anything of it. I'm me however long to get back to the city. So I get back to the city and then I go back to resume my normal uh, patrol duties and stuff. The next day, there was a, a call that, or uh, there was a case I was happened where I had to go up to CID, right? Uh, our criminal investigations division. That's where this particular person was uh, positioned or he had a role up there or she had a role up there. So I go up there and I'm kind of telling some people about my case, a little bit more about that case or whatever. It was a different case. I, 
there's all kinds of stuff goes on in San Leandro. So the same particular person who should not have had any type of knowledge of what happened between me and this car that was uh, quote unquote fleeing from me, they should have known anything because I didn't tell anybody. There was nobody else around. It was a white van. And as far as I knew, it was something, it could have been anybody, a citizen or whatever. It had nothing to do with anything. All I know is just as I'm talking to some of the officers up there, this particular person walks by me laughing and he's and he or she says, stop driving crazy. I'm not chasing you and just started laughing. And I'm just like, what the hell? How did he know that? Or she know that? And I'm just like, and then they walk off. I'm just like, I didn't catch it at the time, guys. And I mean, there's just so much stuff to be watching. And if you're not paying attention, you won't catch this stuff. The only real way that that person knew that was they were either in the van, driving the van, or someone in the van was told to follow me and report back to that particular person about what I did. And the part that was so beautiful about me and my actions is because I was next in line to be, well, I came in first when it came for our field training officer position. I'd finally broken through and number one on the list. So I was next to, next up to be a field training officer. But that was like put on hold for whatever reason. It took me, once I passed the test and I and the list came out and it was it, made, it became public that I was number one on the list, instead of me going right into being a, you know, going to school and all that stuff, for whatever reason, they put like pause on it for like four or five months. You know, it was very strange and they didn't provide a reason. But I figured out what they were trying to do was certain people who did not believe I should have made or gone as high as I did, they were trying to set me up and bait me to do stupid stuff like run through lights after this car that really wasn't really doing too much and um, break all kinds of, uh, you know, speed laws and all that stuff. And then all once they saw that, they would report back to the other field training officer supervisors to say, this is what this dude did. He can't be a field training officer. And they would dismiss me or they, you know, go over me and they would put somebody else in. So I put all that together that that was the plan. And thankfully it did not work. And so that's what makes it so exhausting being a, being a police officer. And I'm just going to come out saying it, a black police officer. That's what makes it so exhausting because if they don't want you there, they will do everything they can to try to get you dismissed. Um, now, with the same particular person, there's some stupid stuff that I did. Uh, I just wasn't paying attention. When I was a SWAT officer, I mean, I trust everybody here. All my listeners got my back. I, you know, I see still to this day, um, new listeners are checking out my old podcast. And so I know people are digging what they're hearing and we're building a bond. So I have no problem kind of sharing a, a story where your boy K Shed did something so dumb. You know, it was, it was a stupid mistake. So anyway, here's what happened. I was on the SWAT team and this was back in the days when that same person I'm telling you about was doing everything they could to make me look stupid whether it's uh it's hard to describe but on training exercises and stuff they would always put me in positions to fail and so once I started kind of like uh, I was on my own there was all white male officers on that SWAT team I was the only black anything and there was no females there was no my other minorities nothing if you that, that's different now there's all kinds of minorities but someone had to be sacrificed if you see where I'm going with this but at that time I was the only minority there so 
I don't think they liked that. So they did everything they could try to get me off. I did the best I could, but the, almost daily when I was around that the SWAT unit, they were just doing all kinds of stuff specifically designed to mess with me. And it was just starting to get overwhelming and just, you know, scary in some ways too, you know, because, you know, when you when you feel like you got all the confidence in the world to do your job and you feel like you're doing your job well, but yet you're like the last person getting picked to be on the basketball team or whatever, you know how that feeling is. And you're just like, wait a minute, how come everybody else got picked? This dude, he's blind. And and he got picked before me. That, that's kind of how I started feeling like, how am I getting treated like this? You know, this that's how it was. But this particular time I made an extremely bad mistake. And yeah, I will admit now that making a mistake like this should probably put you on probation at the minimum to kind of maybe think, hey, should this guy be on a SWAT team? So here's what I did. And we, were, we were doing a night shoot. We were training and we were at the range and it was night. It was a nighttime range. So you get used to using your, your light and your sights and all all that stuff and everything that's hold that's the whole point of the drill and so if I wasn't paying attention at this particular time and I had made other just stupid mistakes and stuff like that so all that was piling up because uh, you know I mean man I'm just mad at myself for this but we were all loading up our guns our our firearms you know like our pistols to get ready for the shoot uh, it was a rifle day so we were loading up our rifles and then we had to load up our guns now um, a lot of times it since it's just rifles you you, you know, and depending on time, uh, you would get mostly just your rifle training in that day because that was the main key thing of why you were there. So, but you would also obviously have to have your handgun all fully loaded too because if you're, something happens with your rifle and you need to take out a suspect or defend yourself or something like that, you have to have rounds in your handgun. So your handgun might be used as well. So we're opening boxes and stuff, putting ammunition in. I'm just not really paying attention. And I, that was the time when we had 40 rounds. So with me not paying close attention, I actually... <laughs> <laughs> I know everybody's gonna laugh at me. Guys, I had the thickest skin in the world when I was a Raider and all that stuff. And then I really didn't hear it until like I looked at the some of the comments and stuff like that when I got released. Yeah, shit sucked, he needed to go. Though those things are jarring, but you know, when you think about it, yeah, I did one time I did this, or I almost did this or whatever to cost the game. But so I deal with that, I get it, I can handle it. So don't feel like you're hurting my feelings if you send me an email at khitduncuffed at gmail.com saying, dumbass, what did you do? So feel free to do it. I'll be okay with you. I'll still love you. So anyway, I'm not paying attention and I open up a box of nine millimeter rounds and I put those nine millimeter rounds in my gun, in my magazine, right? So I didn't know at the time until it was way too late after I kind of finished up and I put the magazine up in my gun, just something didn't feel right. And I heard somebody that I thought said, that's the wrong ammunition. And you can hear grumblings around the, from the other guys. I'm just like, wait a minute here. Did somebody else do this too? I was hoping that they were talking about somebody else. So, but it wasn't like this large number of people, maybe one or two people might've been saying that if that's what they said. I don't know. Maybe I might've been paranoid too and thinking, oh shoot, you know, that they were talking about me. All I know is that I figured out way too late that I put nine millimeter rounds in my gun and I needed 40. So we go up there and I should have fixed the problem. I, but I know that had I turned around, um, those guys were still sitting there. Had I turned around, I would have immediately looked stupid. And then it had been the downfall of me right then and there. I kind of had to make a decision. And I'm just like, do I 
uh, you know, throw myself over the sword and like, guys, I, or do, what do I do? Do I take a box of ammunition and go around the corner? Probably in hindsight, I probably should have done that. But I freaked out and because I knew that we were up and I had to get up there online to get going because I was the next, it was my group that was up. So I made it, yeah, I made a horrible decision all around the board. So I go up there and we're shooting rifle. So luckily, course was only really designed to shoot rifle that night. And I ended up not needing my handgun. And guys... I was so thankful and so happy. I could not believe it. I think I I just knew I dodged a bullet because that's an unforgivable mistake. I, obviously, actually, uh, as a SWAT officer, that's def something you definitely can't do. On this particular day, on this training, I had dodged a bullet. So we were getting ready to break down and head back to the to where uh, ammunition was to kind of break down everything and be done for the day. All of a sudden, this same person who, I, the theme of my podcast, who you keep hearing me talk about, this guy or girl, comes running up. Like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, shit. Uh, did you shoot your firearm? It's like, no, I didn't have to. We were just shooting rifle. He's like, well, hey, let's let's see. Let me see you put a couple rounds in that target right there. One of the other instructors was like, hey, such and such. We got to get going, man. He's like, no, no, no. This only take a second. Go ahead. Uh, put a couple rounds in that target. He's like, I just want, he or she said, I just want to see what happens. And everybody's like, what? What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, all the people come running up to kind of, you know, stand behind me and around me and all that stuff to see. Then and there, I had no choice. So I had to pull my gun out, line up on that fucking target and squeeze the trigger. And lo and behold, guess what happened? The thing did not fire and everybody's like, what? What happened? And then that particular person said, he put the freaking wrong ammunition in his gun. And everybody's like, what? Are you kidding me? And it's just like, oh my God. It was the worst feeling ever. It was horrible. I mean, I mean, I, I can't believe that somebody would do that to another fellow officer. You know, I mean, uh, you know, there could have been so many other ways to handle that situation. Should I have gotten in trouble? Yeah. Pull me aside and say, hey, I'm writing you up for this. You know, you had the powers to do that. I think it would, he or she was a supervisor at that time. You had the time to, to write me up or tell the SWAT commander. I think he or she might have been team leader at that time, too. Yeah. Pull me in the office and say, Hey, dude, you can't do that shit. And then give me the chance to try to explain or whatever, there, even though there's no explanation for it. But do it like that. Don't embarrass your, your... The only real reason for doing somebody like that is if you really want to damage that person's name, make them look stupid, and get them kicked off the SWAT team, and get them kicked, and get them written up, and get them in trouble overall at the police department. That's the only reason why you would do stuff like that. So was it hurtful? Yeah, it was very hurtful. And that was the, another signal of the time of my SWAT team days being over with. Um, I ended up making it to the detective desk after a long, hard fought battle. And But when I became a detective, all kinds of hijinks and shitty stuff still kept happening. I remember one particular day, as a detective, you have a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom to, to do follow-ups on your cases, to do um, interviews. And um, if, if there's no hot calls that comes up that in which you're needed for you can kind of keep on your own pace you know look into the next steps that you need on your cases that you've been assigned i was the sex crimes domestic violence the school juvenile missing juvenile uh, detective so i handled all those type of cases and stuff and this was no different so uh, it was i think it was a restraining violation that he thought his wife was uh, you know doing something that undermined him and then but i wasn't falling for it i just knew what he was trying to do was to undermine her and 
use the police department to get a job done. So all I was doing was just cover my bases, but I already knew that we didn't have any type of evidence that would stand that would against this the, the wife. So my whole thing was just touch base, get this statement, and then go ahead and close my case as civil. So those are really low priority cases. If you go priority from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, this is like a seven because if something else comes up, obviously it's gonna take precedent over this at all because you can get this done over the phone, but I wanted to do it in person just to kind of touch base with the guy and just kind of see if something that I was missing. So I start heading out to where they live. I don't know if they're there or not because they're not answering the phone. So my goal is to go by the house and if I see a car and then, you know, I'll try to make contact and all that stuff. If not, then I'll, I'll leave a note and stuff said, hey, give me a call so we can set up something. And it's say pictures like, 11.50. Right by that house is Togo's, right? So I had a taste for Togo's. And I, you know, when I get in a car and um, you know, I go me on assignment, I'm en route to this particular address to meet with a, a citizen, all right? So that's where dispatch has me on our computer. So I go there and then as I get closer, maybe three blocks away is Togo's from where this person lived. I said, it's 11.50, I'm gonna be eating after this. Let me try to beat the line and grab my sandwich and then once I finish talking to this individual, if they're there or not or whatever, I can stay out in the streets or stay out in the field and kind of eat my lunch. And then at the same time, uh, do more reports in my car or whatever, make some other follow-ups. It was just, I had my stuff down, man. I was like one of the most efficient detectives that we had. I had the, all my cases were closed. Uh, I would just knock it out like left and right. Anytime there was a new case, I was out there just hammering it while other detectives had so much other stuff going on. But I was highly efficient. I took my job very seriously, passionate about what I was doing. Uh, my caseload, like I said, was like on point. I, I would take care of my cases like that. I went the extra yard to make sure that the victims that I was dealing with felt good about the service that I provided them, 100%. At this particular time, I said, well, I can get in there and get my food right quick and then um, beat the line. So I didn't let dispatch know that. You don't need to know, let them know that, that you're stopping someplace. That's like, if you got to stop and go to the bathroom, you don't tell dispatch, you know, as a detective, you don't do that. They give you a lot of uh, space and understanding that detectives do what they had to do on their cases, bottom line. So all I was doing was just trying to kill two birds, with one stone. It would, you know, it would save time, all that stuff to get my sandwich at that time. So when I pulled in, I go in there and I, I'm waiting in line. Uh, it was a little bit, still even a line there. So I finally get to the front and I go and I make my order, right? I usually get the number 16, the Italian. It's a really good sandwich there. Love. Anytime I go to any sandwich place, I'm just, first thing I look for, whatever Italian sandwiches, it's the best out there. So as I'm getting rung up, I turn and I look and that's the same particular supervisor, the one I've been talking about. The same person who had something to do with that van that was trying to bait me into breaking all kinds of laws and rules and stuff to get me yanked off the field training position. The same guy or girl who would do all kinds of stuff to undermine me. If I was technician for that day and I was being sent to another call where I had to dust for prints and this particular person was the uh, commander or whatever, he would cancel me and then he'd send in another tech or request a different 
different tech, uh, like on the radio. All of a sudden, you hear another tech on the radio. Uh, dispatch, uh, show me en route to whatever for whatever tech dude. He's like, wait a minute, I just got canceled from there. So that's how this particular person would do me. This was the same freaking person who's standing behind me now. And I look like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, I come to Togo's like two, three times a day or, or two, three times a week. I can't remember what that person said, but I believed it at the time. It was so believable because it was quick, but it wasn't until later on that I started thinking like he was, he or she was trying to catch me because what he was doing or she was doing was heard the information. Now, if I was in there in Togo's, instead of doing my own thing, which is placing an order, if I was doing anything else other than that, like I was meeting with somebody else, anybody, I was done for misleading the dispatch to say I was here instead of there to someplace else. You can't do that type of stuff. So that's what that particular person was trying to do, catch me in some type of a lie. And if that was the case, they would have, that would have been the end of me right then and there. But that failed, that attempt failed several other times after that failed. But what ended up happening, and that's the main reason of why my podcast is called The Dragon Slayer is because when I got about a year and a half on, I had dealt with this particular person so much and I had reached my limit. Not only was this person directly trying to derail my career, he was, or she was recruiting other supervisors and other officers. This particular person was just doing everything he, he or she could to create more animosity towards me, but I would always undermine it. So the bounty was huge on my head and all that stuff. And what I ended up doing was, like you guys all knew from my old podcast, is I had to make a decision on this one. I said, I have to put it into this one way or another because I'm seeing a lot of movement at this police department with uh, the firing of the chief we had at that time and that was another person who just allowed that type of atmosphere to thrive so I had to make a decision because once that first chief got removed then they had to make a decision of who was going to replace them so as I alluded to in some of my other podcasts I could see a whole bunch of undermining and under the table stuff going on they would have meetings and stuff. And this one supervisor who I keep talking about would be the one spearheading these, these meetings. They'd go, they'd have these closed door meetings and stuff. All of a sudden, just you see people who were part of the good old boy network coming from left and right. And then they disappear in this meeting, which seemed like they were being headed by the same supervisor. This person was trying to do everything they could to gain even more power by rising up the ranks. And if I, if that had happened, I just knew that it was going to be 20 plus more years of just unbearable conditions for people who look like me. They would have 20 plus years of this type of bullshit to have to deal with. And they would be the ones, like I heard from the other younger officer, who were just frustrated. They weren't getting any assignments. They were they were ready to quit or ready to transfer out. They would be dealing with that even more so. It would be even more severe if this particular person con continued to rise up the ranks and stuff. So... What did I have to do? I sat there when I was at the house. I thought about it when I was at work. I thought about it uh, when I was, whenever I had to make a decision here. Do I file a grievance showing unfairness against me? If I do that, one thing's going to happen. It's going to completely wipe out this person who they, they are talking about putting in as the next chief. And by doing that, I will indirectly wipe out 
this other particular dragon so they won't rise any further and gain more power and it would just destroy that whole coup that's happening right now or coup d'etat how they call it um do i do it though if i did that the one thing that's going to happen to me is that i ain't there's no way in the world i'm going to survive this this is just this is a one-way ticket if i decide to punch it then i better be ready to have my days limited because it's going to be on and it's it, all the focus of everything is going to go on me and if i go back to my film dragon's lair right it had to happen there was no other way to stop this beautiful but deadly dragon that was terrorizing this kingdom and making all these innocent civilians suffer one it had to happen so at the time i didn't think about the dragon analogy all i was thinking about was i just knew in reality that what was going to happen to these uh the the new generation of officers so i said to myself do you have what it takes to sacrifice yourself so that these others youngsters can thrive and what i did was i made a conscious and very clear decision to go to human resources and file a complaint and that 100 percent put in motion a chain of events that was so <laughs> damaging to their cause you couldn't really see it it wasn't like a big old explosion and it wasn't like uh, instant fallout. Okay, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. What it did was it brought in another particular person who took their spot. That completely blocked anything they had in mind. And a couple days ago, I was apprised of um, this particular person being gone. I could not believe it until I saw it with my own eyes. And I could sit back and relax knowing full well that these guys and girls, these younger officers, doesn't matter what they look like, they're gonna have a fair shake at becoming the type of San Leandro police officer that they feel like they deserve. And there's nothing really gonna be standing in their way of that. I've seen clear evidence that would suggest that that's going on exactly like I just described it. And I can feel proud of myself that, you know, a sacrifice might have been made. You know, I, I was, I, it wasn't a, a real sacrifice. I was on the I was on the force for 20 plus years and I was retirement age, so but I wasn't ready to go. That was the thing. I still had 5 more years or 4 more years as a detective and I had all kinds of plans and stuff like that. So I don't regret the decision because when I look up and I see and I hear some of the younger officers who I heard from before who were struggling and suffering, now they're happy, now they're freaking thriving. You know what? The movie Dragon Slayer taught me what's most important and I ended my career in a way that I can be proud of and um, to this day I take joy in knowing that I'm living through them and these guys and girls are going to be doing fantastic things. The city of San Leandro in the end is going to prosper because it feels as though officially the dragon that kept getting away is gone. Case yet. Out.